the text that we're looking at is Philippians 3, verses 15 through 16. Let me read that for us here. Here now again, the word of God for God's people. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the unfolding of wisdom in your word. We thank you, Lord, for the substance of your word, Christ Jesus himself, by whom, through whom, in whom all things, Lord, hold together. And that is true of our very lives. We know that, Lord, all that we are is bound up in, in the person and work and ministry of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we come asking that we would behold Christ in the word tonight. That, Lord, through the admonition here, the encouragement that's given, even perhaps for some of us the rebuke that's given, Lord, that we would receive that as the very word of God, the authoritative word of God spoken to us, Lord. An authoritative word that demands from us a response. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the mind of Christ to receive this word, the heart of Christ to love this word, and indeed the desire of Christ to follow in your ways, to submit ourselves to your will and to labor on in the spirit of Christ unto glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what we're going to do tonight is we're basically going to build a, a comprehensive one-sentence uh, summary of these two verses that I hope you can take home with you. So we're going to, we're going to build a, a single sentence together. So the first part of our sentence uh, that really summarized this passage is this. Let us pursue maturity. Let us pursue maturity. This is the first part of our comprehensive one-sentence summary. Let us pursue maturity. You notice that Paul begins here in verse 15 with, with what is really an appeal. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. It's an appeal. Paul is saying, think this way, and in thinking this way, thus act this way, right? We know that as the mind goes, so goes the body. Paul is giving us here, he's calling us to reform our thoughts, particularly to a particular standard, right? Paul here says, think in this way. This way implies a right way. So there's a, a, a right way and there is a wrong way. Now, Paul here, although he has the authority of an apostle to say, think as I do, in reality, he's pointing beyond himself. Uh, and we know this uh, from elsewhere. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, to imitate me insofar as I imitate Christ. In other words, we're not shaping our thinking according to Paul himself, but rather Christ through Paul. We look beyond Paul. We look to God's commands through Paul. We look to the word of Christ in what Paul has presented before us here. This is a call to reform ourselves to the thought and behavior and patterns and rhythms of Scripture. Right? Scripture itself presents us with specific ways, manners, patterns, rhythms that we're uh, to follow in, that we're to adopt even for our own lives. It gives us a specific way of thinking about the world. It orients our minds and our hearts towards the ways and things of God. And so our objective is, or at least our objective should be, to align ourselves with those patterns and rhythms and commands of Scripture. Uh, I hope you understand that's why you're here tonight. That's why you're sitting in these pews listening, uh, not to a 45-minute, a hopefully shorter monologue, 
but to the very word of God, so that as the word of God is preached, you're not, you, you might hear the word of God and be filled with the spirit of God to then live your life according to the word of God. I'm literally preaching, of course, to the choir, being that the congregation is the choir, but you're here, you're here for the evening service, but I, I just want to say to you, uh, you're doing the right thing by being here. Uh, do you realize that by coming to an evening service, you are being doubly exposed to the word of God? If you think about it, right, how many, how many Sundays are in a year? 52, 53, something like that? The Word of God preached each Sunday. You might miss a few because you're sick or you're traveling. But think on this, that in attending an evening service, you are, you are doubling the number of times that you get to sit under the preached Word of God. How valuable. How valuable. Really, if we're to be shaped by uh, the patterns of, uh, uh, and rhythms and commands of scripture. We have to get under the word. We have to be under the word. We need to be filled with the word. This is Paul's call here initially. He wants us to pursue a life that is shaped by the word of God. Now we need to also define here what he means by maturity. You notice in verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think in this way. So we need to understand what kind of maturity Paul is talking about. What is maturity? What is the, what is the substance of this maturity? Well, I would submit to you that what Paul means by maturity is conformity to Christ. Maturity is conformity to Christ. He's not talking about an intellectual maturity. Though I would say to you that as we pursue Christ and as we are conformed to the word of Christ, we actually do grow in intellectual maturity. But that's not, that's not the objective. That's not the substance. Sometimes when we think of maturity, we think of what? Age and experience, right? We think of age and experience. But this too is not the standard that Paul is appealing to. For Paul, maturity is conformity to the image of God in Christ Jesus. Conformity to Christ. You notice, look look with me at verse 10 of chapter 3. That Paul's aim here is is to know Christ. That's the fullest expression of all his efforts, to know who Christ is. Paul's aim is for his life to be shaped to be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. And so it, too, so it also should be for us. We are after, we are pursuing, we're after the mind of Christ. We desire to have the mind of Christ. I was really tempted to sing for our first song of adoration, uh, May the Mind of Christ My Savior. But I'm pretty sure we've sung that like the last 10 evening services. But it's one of my favorite songs and you could, you, you could sing it for every service because truly that's what we're desiring as we, as we come and worship the Lord, we're desiring to have the mind of Christ, to be conformed to the ways of Christ himself. Now, what, what's amazing about this definition of maturity is that it means it is a maturity that even young minds can take hold of, right? If this is not an intellectual maturity, and if this is not a maturity of age and experience, we need to ask, well, what kind of maturity is it? What is it founded on? Well, it's a maturity that's founded on faith. It's a maturity of faith in Christ. It's a maturity of faith which grows even as we pursue Christ and lay hold of Christ. I think, I'm thinking even in, in view of our celebration of baptism this morning of Christ's commands to the children, come unto me, his opening invitation to those children to come, and, and, and then his, his admonition to the adults who are standing around to have faith like that of a child. Christ was calling the adults there even to maturity in him, conformity unto him. A conformity unto Christ that is moved by faith, that is laid hold of by faith. 
Now notice as well that, that Paul here says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And he goes on to say, if in, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. So he's, he's setting up a natural distinction here, right, between those who are, a long, who are at a certain level of maturity and those who have not yet reached that point. And this is something that, uh, that we need to recognize, that as believers, as Christians, as uh, works of sanctification by God's grace, we're all at different points along the spectrum of growth, right? We're all at, at various different points along the spectrum of maturity. Now, what does this demand of us? Well, it demands a sense of humility when it comes to the way that we think about maturity. This is what I would call the relativity of maturity, the relativity of maturity. And so here's the second part of our sentence as we move forward. Let us pursue maturity in the spirit of humility. Let us pursue maturity in the spirit of humility. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand that all maturity and growth in the Christian life is relative. And by relative, I mean relative to a standard, relative to a point. And what is that standard? What is that point? Christ Jesus himself, right? Who is the standard of perfect maturity? He's the one that we're being conformed unto. Christ is the standard. His is the perfection that reaches backward to draw us up to himself. I love John's uh, illustration where we are all depicted as a uh, hundred watt light bulbs. But what is a hundred watt light bulb when compared to the light of the sun? Right? This is, the, this is what I mean by the relativity of our maturity. That because we are all at various points along that, that, that progress of sanctification, that growth in holiness, because we're all at various points in that journey, uh, this demands a, a sense of, uh, of humility uh, from us in the way that we view ourselves and in the way that we view others. And what are we after? We're after the the perfection of Christ. This is the goal of all Christian discipleship and learning. And we're all at various points along that uh, spectrum. So let me say first that that we need to have a humility uh, uh, in and with ourselves. We need to have a humility when we think about ourselves and when we think about where we are in our own uh, spiritual walk. Throughout the scriptures, we're we're told regularly of how uh, nonsensical it is to boast in ourselves. We're regularly told that it is is quite foolish uh, to boast in ourselves. Scripture repeatedly enforces that all the good that is within us, all the good that we we will do, that we can do, that we have done, that that is the result of God's grace at work within us, right? Paul, even in Philippians, makes this clear. If you look with me at chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, what does he say? He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he adds... Wonderfully, because if he didn't, we'd be stuck in a cycle of works righteousness. But he adds, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So our maturity, our progress in in, in the walk with Christ, our progress in the Christian life is the result of God's work in us. And what Paul's saying there is work out what God is working in. Work out what God is working in. Likewise, the main thrust of Paul's argument in chapter 3 is that if anybody has grounds for boasting in themselves, Paul himself has more. You think you have something to boast about? You think you have some confidence? Paul says, I have more. And yet he goes on to say that none of his accomplishments and achievements and advancements compare to the glory of what? Knowing Christ, 
of being conformed to Christ. Which, if you know, Paul's story, right, is a knowledge that was granted to him, not something that he attained for himself. So let me put it this way. Be humble when it comes to your own spiritual growth. It is very easy to forget how far we've come. Beware of the temptation to boast in yourself. Beware of the temptation to think that the praise and honor belongs to you. Beware of the temptation to point to your knowledge of spiritual things instead of pointing to the source of that knowledge. It's so easy as we grow in our knowledge of the word, as we grow in our knowledge of Christ, uh, to become prideful, to think that we have arrived. And brothers and sisters, we are so far from arriving to the perfection that is Christ. Let your maturity be demonstrated in your recognition that all that you know and all that you achieve, indeed all that you are, points to the mercy and grace of God. What is it that we just sang in how deep the Father's love for us? I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in this, the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Isn't that the same argument that Paul's making here? That the one thing that we can boast in is the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished. So I say to you, be humble when it comes to your own spiritual growth. I also want to say this. You know, the phrase, give yourself grace, is, is really a, a poor uh, statement. We, we don't hand out grace. You know, somebody will say, well, give yourself grace. You know, go easy on yourself. Give yourself grace. That, that's really not a great statement because we, we, we can't hand ourselves grace. I think a, a better way to express this, uh, this sentiment is this. Rest in the grace of Christ. Rest in the progressive, sanctifying work of Christ. What do I mean by that? Rest in the fact that Christ is at work in you to conform you into his image. I have met so many earnest believers, and I've been one that gets so burdened down, so down on themselves because they aren't as sanctified as they'd like to be. Can we just all say that we've been there? That we're not as holy as we'd like to be. But how better to think of it this way? Here again, we have an opportunity to throw ourselves upon the mercy of Christ. If we, if we had arrived at our, at our full point of sanctification, we wouldn't need Christ, would we? We'd be perfectly holy. But we are regularly made aware that we have not yet attained to that perfection. But think of your lack of sanctification not as an infirmity, not as, not as, a, not as something that's wrong with you, not a burden, but a blessing, an opportunity to recognize again your need for Christ. So when you feel frustrated that you're not where you'd like to be in your spiritual walk, cry out to Jesus. There you'll find hope in his answer. Trust that I'm at work. Trust that I'm at work. Join with Paul. What does he say here? He says, one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You're going to get a double dose of this because uh, uh, Mike has informed me that he's preaching on these passages next week. There's no thunder to steal, Mike. It's all God's thunder and we can't get enough of it anyways. But press on, press on in your sanctification. I preached a sermon a few weeks ago on uh, the book of Haggai. And, uh, you know, you always have to leave something on the table. Uh, but there's something 
from that sermon that I want to bring out here. And it's, it's actually a passage that comes from Haggai's contemporary, Zechariah. Zechariah says, do not despise the day of small things. Do not despise the day of small things. Let me give you a modern translation of that. Some of you will remember Annie King. Annie King used to say, I pray and ask that the Lord would help me to get 1% better every day. That's a wonderful way to think of our sanctification and a wonderful way to approach the Lord. Lord, help me to grow. (laughs) If by increments, let it still be a growth that makes me to joy in your work and in what you're doing. So be humble in your spiritual walk and in your sanctification. Think rightly about your, about your sanctification, about your journey in the Lord. But let me also address the humility that we need to have towards others. This is an important point. Right? Paul makes it clear here that we have people at various points along the spectrum of maturity in Christ. And I can say that this is experientially true because I stand here before you in this pulpit as a very different man than I was five years ago. Dare I say 10 years ago. I'm a very different man now than I was then. And Sarah's thinking, amen, it's a lot better now. <laughs> well, th- that proves, that shows the progress of our, of our, of our sanctification. And it, 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 it also means something for the way that we ought to look at others who are also uh, being grown and shaped and conformed into the image of Christ. Paul says, of these others, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. So Paul accounts for the varying levels of maturity in the body of Christ, in the church, by reminding us that it's, it's God's revelation that grants us maturity. And he says, don't worry, God will bring the others along too. Just as he has granted us maturity by his revelation, so too will he grant maturity to others in his due time. And so for this reason, we ought to be gracious towards others, brothers and sisters. We ought to be gracious in our words, gracious in our attitudes, gracious in the way that we interact with other believers. We need to extend the patience and long-suffering of God in Christ to others. God has been patient with you. Why should you not be patient with others? Forgive much. Forgive with the measure that you've been forgiven. That's what Christ says in Luke 6. Trust that the Holy Spirit is working on those around you and in other believers. Often I think we feel like we need to be the Holy Spirit for other people. When we have come upon some certain answers to questions, we naturally want others to see things from our point of view. And so sometimes we can try to take things into our own hands and try to assume the position of prophet in speaking for the Lord. Does God use us to counsel others? He does. Does God use us to warn others? He does. Does God use us to rebuke others? He certainly does. But the catalyst, what changes people's minds is not the power, eloquence, or argumentation of our words. It is the spirit of Christ Jesus. We need to be captive to the spirit. Captive to the direction and leading of the spirit. This is a good rule that I've tried to remember I have found, I'll speak for myself, but I have found that it's <laughs> the best messages for other people are often not what I think they need to hear, but rather what the Holy Spirit is teaching me. 
I have found that it's usually when, when I when I think somebody needs to know something and I'm going to tell them about it, that's probably not the right time to tell them about it. When the Lord has revealed something to me and I have learned something and I'm testifying to that grace of the Lord in my life, I find that to be the more beneficial message. I see John nodding his head. It, it, the, the best sermons, and that's a relative term, best to what? But the, the most enjoyable sermons, the most uh, 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 refreshing sermons that I get to preach are not the ones in which I have a message that I think Jack Herndon needs to hear. Probably related to your attitude in, in, on the tennis court. No, the best sermons, the most enjoyable sermons, the most wonderful and refreshing sermons that I get to preach are an overflow of my sanctification, of what the Lord has been teaching me, what, what the Holy Spirit has been pressing into my heart. Indeed, if we're thinking, again, this person needs to hear this from me, we, 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 need, we might need to take a minute and, and pause and pray and think. Because it could be, perhaps, that actually the Lord's not trying to teach somebody else that thing. The Lord's trying to teach you that thing. So let your pursuit of maturity and conformity to Christ be marked by humility in and with yourself and in your interactions with others. Let the love of Christ rule your heart. Be attentive to the Spirit. Be captive to the Spirit. Be directed by the Spirit. And this leads us naturally into our, the third section of our sentence here. So we've looked at, let us pursue maturity in the spirit of humility. And the third part of our sentence is, with integrity in our convictions. With integrity in our convictions. Note that in verse 16 here, Paul again makes another appeal. You notice the phrase, let us. He's, he's appealing. He's saying, in this pursuit of maturity in conformity to Christ, let us hold true to what we have attained. That is, let us faithfully hold to what the Spirit of Christ has revealed to us, and so act in accordance with what we have learned and what we have attained. This brings out the principle of obedience in the progress of our maturity. Brothers and sisters, we are responsible for what God has revealed. We are responsible for what Christ has taught us in the Spirit. We are responsible for the knowledge we have attained. Right? It would be sinful of me to return to the patterns of thought and behavior of the five-year-ago me. It would be sinful and wrong of me to regress in my maturity to the, to the me of 10 years ago, right? Back, backwards is not the way. The Christian life is one of progress, progressing forward in maturity. This is why it's often when, when believers fall into sin, it's described as backsliding because that's what's happening. We're regressing back into former patterns of immaturity after God has already revealed certain things to us. To revert to former stages of our walk is to neglect to honor God's progressive work in us. But even more dangerously, it is to sear the conscience. It is to sear the conscience. The searing of the conscience occurs in premeditated sin. What is premeditated sin? That's when we know something is wrong and we do it anyways. When we've planned to do it in our heart, though we know it's wrong and we carry it out. And if this continues, the searing of the conscience ultimately results in the hardening of the heart. It hardens the heart to the work of the Spirit, to the whispers of the Spirit, and thus slows and impedes our growth in the Lord. 
Stakes are for searing, not hearts. Premeditated sin, brothers, is dangerous. Brothers and sisters, it's dangerous. When we know what is right, when we know what God has revealed, when we know what he's told us to do, and we do the opposite anyways. What Paul is calling us to here is an integrity in our convictions. Paul is saying that we must follow through. We must carry out what we have learned and what we've received in Christ. And to neglect to do so is ultimately to cut at the strands that hold us to Christ. Maturity, conformity to Christ is demonstrated by our obedience to the spirit of Christ as he has revealed what we are to do in the word of Christ. So let us pursue maturity in the spirit of humility with integrity in our conviction. So I appeal to you with Paul in the pursuit of maturity to be obedient to what God has revealed to you. To act upon what God has called you to act upon. And I can assure you that as you do that, you will see greater and greater growth in Christ-likeness. Until that wonderful day that we attain to his perfection and we are free from that pull and taint and draw of sin. And this is the the final uh, part of our sentence here and perhaps the most wonderful. Let us pursue maturity in the spirit of humility with integrity in our convictions until we attain to the consummation of our hope in Christ Jesus. Until we attain to the consummation of our hope in Christ Jesus. This sentence is somewhat self-explanatory, but I simply want to highlight that our sanctification has an end. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, but it's, it's, not, an, it's not just an impersonal end. The end of our sanctification is a person. It's Christ Jesus himself. It's our Savior and our Redeemer, the fullness of our perfection, all that we have yearned to know and to be in this life. Christ is the fullness. The progress of our maturity leads us ultimately to Christ and to the ultimate hope of the believer. That one day your faith will turn to sight. Your prayers will turn to praise. Your hope will turn to fulfillment. And on that day, we will be all that we have desired to be in this life. On that day, our sanctification will be complete. Yes and amen. And Paul's emphasis throughout this passage on the resurrection points to this very fact. And it forms the foundation upon which he stands to tell us and to exhort us to press on, to keep going, to strain ever forward. That's the end goal. That's what's in sight. That's what's in view. The perfection of Christ Jesus and the glories of heaven forever. But look what he says. Look at verse 12 with me. He says, not that I have already obtained this. Paul is like you. He recognizes we're not there yet. He says, or am I already perfect? Not that I'm already perfect, right? We can say yes and amen with Paul. We're not perfect yet. But notice he says, but I press on. I press on. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because we have been secured by Christ, we can have hope that at the end of our days, we will be with Christ and we will be standing in the holiness of his image that the, the image that was distorted and marred and stained by our fall into sin, that will be renewed and restored and bright as ever. What a wonderful day. So here's my concluding words to you. My mom used to read 
the Chronicles of Narnia to us before we went to bed. Maybe some of you can relate. And I remember very vaguely, and it's been many years since I've read it, there's a particular phrase that stuck with me from the last book, the last battle. And it's a call, it's an exhortation, it's an appeal. It's come further up, come further in. And I went back and this afternoon I opened up our Chronicles of Narnia tome. It's quite a big book, dusted it off a little bit and went to the end. And it's, it's one of the very last chapters of that last book. And what it is, is it's, it's a picture of new Narnia, i.e. the new heavens and the new earth. And the creatures are rejoicing to have come upon this new heavens and new earth. Uh, and, uh, and one of them yells this out, come further up and further in. It's, and, and as I was sitting there reflecting on that statement, it, it, I was thinking of how much it evokes that sense of joy that characterizes the realm of heaven. Right? It's a place of raucous delight, a place of unfolding life that just gets better and better the further up and further in you go. And I want to submit to you tonight that the fullness of the joy of heaven, the fullness of that raucous joy, the fountain of never-ending goodness, all that heaven is in its preciousness and, 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 and wondrous reality, all that is, is really Christ himself, the person of Jesus Christ. He's the source of all our delight. Our aim is not heaven as a location, as a place, but Christ who dwells in heaven. Our aim is to be where Christ is, the very place that he has prepared for us. Our aim and all our pursuits, indeed our entire life, is to be oriented towards that moment of communion with Christ. Our deepest affections are to be set on him. Brothers and sisters, that's the kind of invitation that Paul is laying before you tonight. He sees in the resurrection of Jesus Christ glimpses of the glory that is to come, and he is calling out to you. Hear the words of Scripture. Hear the words of Christ through the Apostle Paul. Come further up and further in. Press on, press up, press in, press towards the endless glory and joy and delight of knowing Christ Jesus for all eternity. There is nothing of more surpassing value than that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would indeed make it our one true aim, our highest affection, to pursue headlong after Christ. We pray, Lord, that as we pursue maturity, conformity to Christ's image, that we would do so with the spirit of humility that we would think rightly with grace about our own spiritual walk and that we would extend that grace and patience and forgiveness to others. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to live with integrity to our convictions, that we would follow through with what you have revealed, that you would give us, Lord, a spirit that desires to walk in your ways, to be obedient to your commands. And Father, we pray that we would continue to press on until that wondrous consummation of glory in the realms of heaven with Christ Jesus forever. May Christ be our vision always. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.